0: slash mvbible or youtube at youtube.com slash MV Bible magic valley bible church built on god's word
1: please take your bibles and open them to jonah chapter one jonah chapter one We sing a song like that, all I have is Christ, what more do you need? We have the sufficiency, the omniscient, the omnipotent God in Christ Jesus that dwells in the life of the believer. What a joy it is to be able to look to him. What's ironic is, is our, our text points to a guy who wants to flee from the face of God. And yet we, you and I both know that's where the safety is, in the midst of the storm, is in and dwelling in the goodness and kindness of God. Let me read our, our passage for us this morning and, and then we'll tear it apart. But the narrative goes like this. It says, starts in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which, which he was going to, Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship and lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on those on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? Was it your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And from what people are you? Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do with you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up, and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on the account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the morning and for your word. There's so many truths in the midst of this narrative that helps us understand clearly what to do. You've exposed the heart of a man of disobedience. You have, have brought him to the place where even those around him are calling out for mercy. And Lord, we just prayed for our own souls that we would be able to evaluate it according to the truth and through the power of the Spirit to be able to understand exactly what this disobedience looks like. For we personally don't desire to be in the way where the judgment and the hand of God's discipline in our life is upon us. And so may we take note and we see what you're, you're saying to us through the, through the Word and through the Holy Spirit. We ask that you be with your servant as he desires to honor you with what he says. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A lot of scriptures there. You know me well enough that we're not going to get through all of them this morning. However, there's there's a working narrative that we see this story kind of unfold. and, And Jonah is very disobedient. The title of our sermon is The Fruit of Disobedience. What does disobedience look like? I think very quickly we can look in the mirror we can see a lot of the, the traits in our own soul when the Lord tells us to do something and how we reject that or, or try to better yet ignore that. That's where our heart often goes when we look at the scripture when the word says do this and do that. And so we come to a book that gives us great understanding and, and a minor prophet that, that the Lord has, has called and yet he ran. And according to what we've studied so far in the book of Jonah, we have examined the reality that Jonah fled from the presence of God. Twice we noted last week in verse 3, there is at the beginning, at the end, that that he fled from the presence of the Lord, literally in the Hebrew, from the face of God. Jonah had this sense that it would be better for for him to, to run In light of the call, he says that he reasoned in his own soul that it was better for him to take flight. What's amazing to me, when you read the Scriptures and you look at the Old Testament, and we noted this even last week, the whole issue of the prophet. We expect a prophet, at least, to obey God. Of course, they were his servants in the midst of dispensing his truth and rebuking those around them at the time. But not Jonah. I think that's what makes it so remarkable is to look at the disobedience in the face of God and shaking his finger and says, I will not do it. Jonah fled as far as he could according to the scriptures. When we think of geography, God says, go to Nineveh. And he says, I am going the farthest away. I'm going to Tarshish. And as we have looked at Jonah over the last couple of weeks and the extreme actions that he took, it all points back to his heart. You and I both know that that is the the heart that determines the direction of our obedience or our disobedience. And so his heart was filled with a desire of not taking what he heard from God, thinking that maybe he was in the wrong and he did just the opposite. When it comes to Jonah and disobedience, it shouldn't surprise us that when we run from the presence of God and disobey God's word and truth that the natural inclination of our heart is going to be disobedience. Without God's truth being a lamp unto our feet to, to lead the way, we walk. We will walk in darkness where there will be pitfalls and struggles of the world that will easily ensnare us and entrap us in thinking that we are going the right way. In reality, the world says, no, we want to gobble you up. The writer of Hebrews puts this into our minds when we look at even that book. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2:1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we will, or so that we do not drift away from it. Kind of a, a, a nautical theme there. The whole idea of drifting away from the presence of God, we see that, of course, with, in action with Jonah in that book. But are we paying attention, the writer says, to the, the supremacy of Jesus in our life that he directs and leads and guides us according to his truth? The failure of the believer in Christ to hold fast to the word of God eventually means that he drifts away from the word and finds himself gasping for a biblical error in order to function in God's blessedness. You and I both know that Jonah experienced the blessing hand of God. We saw that in 2 Kings 14, where he was used as in obedience in that case to do what God had called him to do. And yet when we come to Jonah, we should expect him, what we saw in 2 Kings, to be obedient, but that is far from the case here. It's a dangerous place to be, beloved. When you yourself run face-to-face, toe-to-toe with God and say, I will not do. When He says, you must do. Disobedience reverts you back to you being Lord of your life. Do you understand that, beloved? When you look at God's word, and He is Lord and Savior, and He is supreme, and you put up a, a defense against them, a resistance against the truth, you are saying that you are better in your own wisdom than God. And it won't take you very long, beloved, in your disobedience to find out that the path that you think is better than Christ is heading towards destruction. And get this, disobedience will put you in the crosshairs of God's disciplines if you are His. If you are His. If you are his, he will not let you run away unnoticed. He will chase you, much like what we see in the narrative of Jonah. He will chase you and he will correct your heart. He will teach you in such a way that you find yourself lamenting that why in the world did I disobey in the first place? And beloved, when we think about the disciplining hand of God to run and chase us into the four corners of the earth, we must receive that as a grace kiss of our Lord. Knowing that he's drawing you back to an obedience where there is blessing in his, his, his truth. To bring you back into order, to what is right, what is good, what is holy. To bring you back into the fold. Such was the case here for Jonah. I mean, it's just remarkable when we think about this the story that is often taught in our Sunday school classes of of the joy of of God chasing. We see so much of the character of God going after the wayward sinner. And then, on the flip side, we can clearly learn from Jonah what not to do. We can learn from Jonah here of, of a heart that evidences of disobedient actions. And they're clearly marked out even with his own actions. You know, I both know that those actions reside from a truth or a thought within the heart. He's only doing what his heart's telling him to do. And what's remarkable about this is that the text leads us to at least four actions that we can identify very clearly from the text, from Jonah, that that point to his disobedience in order for us to learn, to examine, to see what God goes after, to be able to do not what Jonah does, but to do what according what is good and right according to the Scriptures. And so we pick it up from that vein. We pick up our text and, and look at first uh, this first evidence that, that pops out of us in verses 3 and 4. And that is a disobedient heart that is disobedient will lead you to a misguided understanding of your circumstances. This is what's so remarkable. We've alluded to this a little bit in previous sermons, but here it is full-front disobedience of thinking that God is with him in light of his misunderstanding and with the circumstances. Look again at verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." It's remarkable. Some scholars believe that when he paid the fare, that he actually uh, paid the whole fare for the for the boat and had the crew kind of do what he wanted him to do. You know, getting an indication from the text that way, but that he paid uh, a price to go on from one place to another. And as we noted last week, twice we hear again, the authors say that the motivation for Jonah here is disobedience to God. Jonah's saying this himself. He's he's revealing it to us. That he desired to run from the presence of the Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, from the face of Yahweh. Now I don't know about you, that that should be red flags immediately, right? We think of God's interaction with Israel and the covenants that were brought and and, and all the things that the Israelite desires to be in the presence of God. He has shown his mighty hands. Jonah would have known these things. He would have known that of the stories of old, of the Exodus, uh, of the reality of of what was happening with God being the God of Israel. There was no better place, and Israel understood this, and they, they were taught, and Jonah was taught, that it was important to hear the Lord and follow and do what he says. The hard intention, however, of Israel, or of Jonah was to run. We can even say that in Israel at times. And in so doing, he could easily say, hey, look, even God is showing me mercy by promising me and providing me a ship. You think about this. Jonah says, I don't want to go. He knows he's in disobedience. And so he begins to run and he looks for ways. And the providence of God happens to have a ship with some sailors. At least in his mind, he's thinking that maybe God is putting his favor, that maybe God's got it wrong that he looks at this provision of a ship and, and, and that, that God is helping him, that maybe God's rethinking about what he's thinking, that, that Nineveh doesn't need to be called to repentance. They need to be destroyed, to have judgment upon them. I mean, I, the only reason I think that that we can identify with that is because we find ourselves there too. We justify our sins to the hill, don't we? We can look at things and say, you know what, and say this is the hand of God upon my life by, by his, look at his providences. And we rewrite our disobedience and make it sound like it's obedience. Such, I think, was the case for, for Jonah. Jonah then boarded the ship. Everything was going well, right? I mean, God could have stopped him before he entered the ship, but here he goes into a ship and it sets sail. Everything seems to be working according to his own heart intentions. Surely God was with him, right? This providence of God that, that we look at, we, that surely this must be that God is rethinking what he said. And like I said earlier, When it comes to our disobedience, we find every cause to justify it. When it comes to our disobedience, we find every cause to to justify our disobedience and spin it as obedience before God. And we are misguided. We are misguided in seeing the events of life as God showing us approval when clearly in the Bible it tells us otherwise. And that's usually where disobedience runs to. Disobedience doesn't run to the truth to try to figure out its disobedient heart. Disobedience runs away from the scriptures so as to confirm and it looks outside the scriptures to approve their their actions. We see when we read about the providence of God often in the scriptures, his grace and his provision in our lives. And often, in our own souls, we put hardly approval on this thinking that this is okay because deep in our heart, even though we are disobedient, we're doing what we desire to do, we think that God is blessing us. For that matter, we reinterpret Scripture. This is what the world does. I mean, how black and white are the, the Scriptures when it comes to what is holy, what is good, what is right? And the world says, no, let's rewrite it. Why? Because we want our sin. We want our sin. I will never forget a conversation that I had with a pastor who was so forthright in his thinking that because he served God day and night, according to him, and devoted much time to him, that as a pastor... God will allow him to have a few sins to engage in because he was a faithful servant. Can you imagine your pastor's face hearing this? I said to him, where in the world did you get that? Because you did not get that in the Bible. His response was telling he immediately said, well, why don't you look at King David? And I said, King David? I knew exactly where he was going with all this. Uh, to think that King David could have his sin with Bathsheba and still be used by God. Listen, you're missing a big part of that. I continue to tell him, have you read Psalm 32, or Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin and gets right with God? Where he, he comes to an understanding that his actions were wrong not only to Bathsheba but also to the nation of Israel that it came with a consequence where he lost his son and he lost the ability to build a temple. Did you read those things? Well, you can imagine that was the last time I ever talked to this guy. I only bring that up because I think we find ourselves often in both of those roles. We see ourselves justifying our sin, thinking that God surely will bless us. And yet, we're afraid to go to the scriptures because we know that in our heart that it will challenge our thoughts. On the flip side, God gives us truth in which to stand, to be able to speak into it, I don't know about you, but when, you, when I read the scriptures, it helps me think what is right and what is good, what is holy. I need the Bible. You need the Bible. You need the word of God to shine a light onto your soul so as to correct your thinking of what is good and what is right. I think back to our text, how Jonah was misguided. Thinking that the Friendly providence of God was on his side. And then we get to verse 4, and it all falls apart. Verse 4 says this, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Literally in the Hebrew, that it was going to be broken. (coughs) The ship was going to fall apart. Clearly, the ship lying in the Joppa harbor was, was meant as a means. I mean, this is where God's getting Jonah. Jonah, I'm going to give you this rope. You can run as far as you want, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tug on it. I'm going to tug on it. Jo- Jonah was so foolish to think that the ship was a God-given providence. Rather, it was a test to reveal the character of his own heart, to show his and expose his disobedience. I mean, don't you see that here in verse four? I mean, the the writer goes back; Jonah himself goes back, and he recognizes the hand of God in the midst of this. The Lord hurled, Yahweh hurled. Literally, it means that this word in Hebrew is literally a, a storm that was so violent that he he threw it down, and it caused havoc on the waters. What's interesting about this? Even the sailors were concerned. Think about that with me. These seamen who were regularly on the ocean, on the sea, were desperately afraid of the storm that they they saw. No doubt they dealt with storms at sea, yet this one was, was one that would cause their hearts to be frantic. And so much so that they appealed to their gods, crying out for help. I mean, I think about the spiritual lessons that we learned from Jonah here. The fact that, that God communicates his will and his truth through the revealed word. And we already saw when it comes out of the shoot in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, that the word of the Lord came and Jonah disobeyed. I think it's important for us to understand when we think about this and, and how this is interacting with his life, that there isn't any extra revelation that Jonah needed. He didn't need to run outside and base his life on experience. The word of God spoke and he disobeyed. And when it comes to the word of God, I think too often we find ourselves in such a way that we run to other things except for the word of God to find direction. And why would we do that? In the scriptures, you have an inerrant word of God that is holy and righteous and good from the very breath of God. And yet we don't want to turn to it because it might tell us to do something that we don't like. You have in the Scriptures everything that you need. I think of 2 Peter 1 where the Apostle says this in verse 2 and 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power, and get this, has granted to us everything for training to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellency, according course, pointing to Jesus. Everything according to life, which is all this, and to godliness, which is all that, spiritually speaking, it contains truth in us for our m- moorings to walk in, to be obedient in. God in his word is the source and foundation for your obedience to God. Peter goes on to say in verse 19 and 21 I'm saying of 2 Peter, he says there, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well, to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. What more do we need, beloved? We have the scriptures. We have the complete revelation of God for us to understand and to believe. And God is the one who is the author of it. And so then when I push back from that, I think about not only is Jesus sufficient to save my soul, but the Word of God is sufficient for my obedience in following Christ. Everything it contains, it shows what not to do and what to do, not as a ball and chain, but as the the goodness and kindness of God to reveal truth of what is holy, what is good, and what is righteous. God's Word is sufficient for all of that. Jonah's misguided understanding of circumstances teaches us and it shouts to us by saying, Do not be guided by the providences of God if you're going to disobey the scriptures. Do not be guided by the providences of God when you are refusing to be guided by God's word. That's his point, that's what the scripture is telling us. Do not take the events of your daily life as your instructor when you have not even gone to God's word to be a lamp unto your feet. When we have a heart to rebel against God and His word, don't be so misinformed thinking that you are in the will of God. Because you're not. You're not. Can I be so clear to say it this way? God will never, will never give you gracious excuses to justify since Never. Never. I think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher of old who described a, a school friend who had a very violent temper. He speaks of this guy that his anger would often flare up. At some point in the man's anger Spurgeon recalled that the man would throw something when he was angry. And then Spurgeon said this quote, what struck me forcibly was not that the guy got angry, but that whenever he was angry, there was always something at hand to throw. Listen, beloved, God never uses or gives us gracious excuses for our sins. He gives us truth in which to live by. And the call for us is to repent. It would be a short book if Jonah would just see the hand of God in his life and repent real quickly. And may that be our endeavor. That when we see and we start justifying our sins, that we quickly stop and repent and quote to the scriptures to get our minds thinking what is right, what is good, what is true. I mean, stories flood my mind. I, I think of another gentleman who came out of a grocery store. We were meeting up with them for, for dinner. And he says, you, you will not believe it, Bear. I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, God just blessed me. I said, well, yeah, God's in the blessing business. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, the tailor gave me $100 extra. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, 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 time out, right? God doesn't do that. I said, have you thought about what that young lady now who miscounted and gave you the wrong change, that now her job's at stake? He goes, no, no, no. God wanted me to have an extra 100 bucks." I said, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't take what is going to be hurtful towards somebody else and, and cause it in such a way that, that, that he says that now this is the hand of God. He justified his actions by not returning the $100. Sadness. Yet that's the way we think about God at times, thinking that he is blessing us giving us justification to keep what we desire in our own sins. Now there's a second evidence of Jonah's disobedience that we need to take note. It's seen in verses 5 and 6. And that is disobedience makes you powerless in a crisis. I mean, we clearly can see this. Disobedience makes you powerless in a crisis. What was Jonah going to do, right? When the storm blew up and the tempest rocked the boat, verse 5. Then the sailors came, became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen, sound asleep. Wow. Disobedience leads us to a place where we think, you know what, I'm just going to curl up and die. Like we saw before, noted in 2 Kings 14, Jonah was a prophet who, who shown obedience. And yet, in his disobedience, I mean, he knew that the Lord brought that storm. Even the sailors knew that God brought a storm. And yet he found it acceptable and good just to kind of go down and fall asleep and take a nap. And I, I guess what amazes me is, is just how he got there. How we can read him in Second Kings and see his, his obedience, but now we get to the book of Jonah and we see his disobedience. I don't think that when he was called to be a prophet that he ever think that he would ever drift to a place where disobedience would be his master. I think this is so subtle in his own soul. Surely he thought, oh, I'm a man of God. Surely my conscience will pierce my soul and do what is right if I ever get too far. Surely he could have thought that that, that would have been the safety gap. His obedience to God, seeing the blessings of God, hearing the, of the history of God in his life. However, in the midst of that, could it be pride? Probably. It ushered him into complete disobedience to the word of God and he was about to die. When the moment of crisis came, Jonah was in no condition to hear his conscience. It was seared. His disobedience was heightened by the fact that he looked at the storm, looked at the actions of the sailors and says, you know what? It's time for a nap. I mean, that was his response. Maybe the assumption was that maybe that this is just all a storm. I can just kind of write it out, close my eyes, and, and go to a different place. But the sailors, the text clearly shows the sailors, their response was totally the opposite. They were so frightened by this terrible storm that one by one they cried out to their own false gods, and even began throwing over cargo. The sailors responded to the storm with with such action like Jonah responded with inaction. Even then, verse 6 tells us that Jonah had to be awakened by the captain of the ship to hear God. Pretty interesting when we think about this. Look at verse 6. It reads, So the captain approached him and said, How is it that but you are sleeping. Literally, in the Hebrew, he gives you the connotation that he was actually snoring. And he says, get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we will not perish. What is remarkable is that about this is, is that the sailors knew that God was behind this great storm and they had to cry out to their gods. The problem, they knew, that God brought a storm. The problem is, is why? They were seeking that answer. And from their perspective, they had to appease their God because they had this way of thinking that, that the gods that are for them are not going to bring destruction upon their life. And so there must be another God out there that if we cry out to our good gods, maybe they will appease the angry God and everything will be okay. That was in their minds. That's how they functioned back then. And so they were pleading to eat sail or to call out to their God so that maybe he can be the mediator, the intercessor of, of making sure everything goes well. And so they cry out. No wonder they went down into the hole of the ship and asked Jonah to awaken and to cry out to their God. They were crying out for assistance, not here. They weren't crying out for repentance just yet. And what's interesting to me is the irony. The same words, for the most part, that Jonah disobeyed are the same words that the captain, the pagan captain, uses to jog his heart to get up and call upon his God. The captain says in verse 6, Get up, call on your God. Verses 1 and 2, The Lord says, The word of the Lord came and said, in verse 2, Arise and cry against. See the parallel and the connection there? No doubt this was a Nathan moment for Jonah. No doubt if you remember the prophet Nathan, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where God sent him to, to awaken the disobedience of King David in his sin against the nation and Bathsheba. Here God uses a pagan captain to echo the words that if you would only be obedient, everything would be okay. That's what's happening here. God sends a pagan captain to awaken his heart to at least to consider his God in the midst of his disobedience. The words of the captain, no doubt, probably haunted Jonah. For him to consider the very reason why he was even in this predicament. I mean, you walk away from this. As much as Jonah seemed to be in charge, everything shifts in verse 4, where now the Lord is in control. He sovereignly has his hand in the midst of, of Jonah's life. Jonah clearly is not in charge when he thought he was... Don't you love our God? Because he often does that. When we think that we could do things better according to our own will instead of the divine will of God, God awakens that and and humbles us and brings us back to a point of understanding that, that he is sovereign and we are not. When I think about Jonah and his disobedience here, it shows us just how powerless he is in the midst of this crisis. I mean, his thought of God's providence in all this, out the window. How foolish it is to think that we are in charge. Have you learned that lesson yet? When we want our own thing and not to obey the word of God and the command of God. I mean, this is all about the disciplining hand of God as this continues to unfold itself. We saw that not too long ago and months ago when we looked at the three areas of of disobedience here. Very clearly, this is a corrective discipline from the hand of God. It echoes from, from the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your own, in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly, the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, but those who have been trained by it Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The disciplining hand of God to bring a corrective nature to to his children. This definitely was God's man, God's prophet. And yet, in his disobedience, God brought out of love, out of grace, to to be able to correct his his heart and his direction. Listen, if God is not disciplining, what the writer is saying, what, what God... If God is not disciplining you, then you're an illegitimate son. In other words, judgment is the only occurrence of your soul. But for those who are his corrective discipline by the hand of God, the corrective discipline comes to us from the hand of God in the form of punishment often. Consequences, yes, because of our disobedience. But yet, understand the process it was good for Jonah to understand that God would chase him down and bring him to a place where he can start seeing. And Jonah finally gets there, doesn't he? We'll we'll find that out. However, when we make disobedient choices in our lives, and we make them with our own understanding and without the guidance of the Scriptures, and if we fail to repent of those choices, and count on God God in his love brings about painful consequences of those choices in our lives that's why we sing a song trust and obey for there's no other way to be what happy in Jesus than to trust and obey I mean this is Christianity this is 101 right this is the simplicity of Christ now if we can only just do it right obey trust him has he ever failed you in the scriptures? Has he ever, has his promises ever not come true? I mean, this is what we're dealing with here, beloved. The beauty of this is that God will not let you go until you have learned what he wants to teach you about your sin and disobedience. God wants to remind you that he is sovereign over life and that you are not. And when we are obedient to the Lord, The power of the Lord will reveal itself. I love the scriptures when it says this text in 2 Corinthians 16.9 it's in the hallway across from my office and it says for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Of course he was speaking to Israel at the point he wanted them to understand the reality that God is for you if you would be obedient. And yet the end of that scripture says, you have acted foolishly in this indeed. From now on, you will surely have wars because of their disobedience. But the eyes of the Lord desire to lift up those who honor the truth. I mean, You can go to the annals of history and you can see that time and time again of how God lifts up his servants for his glory and for his kingdom. I mean, what great truth. This is the hard part of the preacher church trying to figure out where to pull over the bus and stop. If we go on to point three, we will not get through it, so I'm going to pull it over here. But I want to make some applications here. We have learned from Jonah... Bad example, that disobedience leads you to a misguided understanding of the hand of God, of the problems of God, of the circumstances of God. You're not seeing that correctly. You're seeing it with dirty glasses, in a distorted way and understanding. And then, of course, the second point, disobedience makes you powerless in a crisis. How foolish it is to think that disobedience is going to be a blessing. Ask your kids that, right? When they disobey, is it a blessing when they receive the punishment of a rod? And then you hear mom and dad say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. didn't make sense then, but it does now. The heart of the parents to, to shape and guide a, a child in the ways of the truth. We see ourselves even till we get to glorification, until we get to heaven, that this is going to be the continual way of our Lord to be able to to get us to where we need to be and grow us in Christ and be sanctified and be more like him? I don't know about you, but I'm not one to run towards discipline. I mean, who wants to get in line with the mighty hand of God, discipline in your soul? Listen, it comes down to obedience then, right? It comes down to, to looking to the Scriptures and being confident that what He says is truth and that I can live my life accordingly. I mean, I don't doubt this. I did when it, before I came to know Christ, absolutely, trying to figure it out. And yet, every step of the way, God has shown Himself to be not only truthful, but faithful, that He will back what He says according to His truth. That's the joy. I heard a great quote just a couple weeks ago from a dear saint who said, listen, when you go to bed at night, that is the same God that you wake up to. That God is the same God that when you lay down your head, knowing that when, after you sleep that you're going to rise up and there he is. The immutable God that never changes. The God that is holy. The God that is righteous. What more do we need? And so the application is simple. When you disobey God's truth, you better expect the disciplining hand of God in your life. When you disobey God's truth, you see your life in an earthly grid and not in an eternal understanding of truth. For some of us, we need to suck pond water, to understand that my disobedience is not fun. May we quickly learn that it's better to trust and obey instead of disobey and run. Oh, there's so much more that we could pull out. And Lord willing, we'll save that for next week, but we'll see that disobedience will make you ashamed of even your calling in Christ. You see that with Jonah? And then fourthly, we'll see that disobedience muddies your future and your usefulness for Christ. Great understanding, hopefully, that you are diving into this text. You're you're pulling these things out, seeing what's happening in the life of Jonah. And may it be a a testimony of what not to do. What not to do. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for the truth and how it challenges our even thoughts of of what is good, what is right, what is holy. You are a sovereign, omniscient God. You know every thought and action that is ever made by any living human being. We thank you for the eternal example of Jonah. Seeing his disobedience what that caused him, the strife, the, <laughs> the foolishness. May we see that as, as a lesson. And yet, may we see in the midst of us how far you go to run after those who are yours. And how you'll bring them back to the fold as we continue to study this book. We love you. May we evaluate life in light of the truth. For some, are, maybe they're, they're right in the middle of, of thinking about this. This is better to disobey God. And Father, may you stop them in their tracks. Knowing, seeing how you dealt with Jonah, may, may they see the wisdom what disobedience can cause. And Father, for the one who is continuing to look to your scriptures, may we continue to re- have it revealed to our lights. may it continue to shape our thoughts and actions, may we be obedient to what it says, because when it says, thus saith the Lord, may we follow. And so we love you. The scripture is very clear that the love that we have for you is shown in our obedience to you. So may you find us obedient in such a way that gives you honor, glory, and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com mvbible.